I think that people, when they reach the point where they know themselves they're going to die and God is having that little conversation in the back of their head, welcoming them home, they have some moments of clarity. And so like with my father, I went down the night before he passed to give him his medication and he refused to take it. He didn't want to take it. And he just wanted me to sit and talk to him. And one of the things that he asked me, he says, will you be okay? Hi everyone, this is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. Hi, everybody. This is Ross Aperti, a host of Bear Crawl with Dads. And so thank you so much for tuning in and just checking us out. As you know, this show exists to help dads out there, dads that are new to the game, dads that have students or children that have graduated, empty nesters, whatever, really just have a conversation to hear stories from fathers. And it's just the hope that Anything that's shared or talked about may be a blessing to you that's listening. So thanks again for checking in uh, tonight. Very honored to have, or my next guest, uh, I've done it for a, quite a while. I'm not going to do the math because it's late here in Houston, but known my guest for a long time. And so, Jim, truly an honor and a joy to have you as a guest. So thank you. Thank you very much. I am honored to be here. Yeah, well, I really, really appreciate this. This means a lot. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. So, Jim, before we get into the just the, the meat, the nitty gritty, tell the audience, like, who is Jim Miller? Where do you live? Tell us about your family. Um, and what do you do? Okay. I am me. I've been me for a very long time. Jim Miller, I'm from a little town in Southern Ohio that nobody's ever heard of. Southern Ohio. Okay. Try it. Yeah. Try me. It's called Portsmouth. Oh, yeah. Portsmouth. It's a great place to be from. The Portsmouth uh, Spartans, the football right. team, they were in like the first major playoff series, are now the Detroit Lions. Really? Yeah. And and that's outside of uh, Rushtown. Yes. Even smaller place, Rush. So, Jim, before I, I'm gonna, I am going to jump in, uh, a little bear crawl with dad's trivia that you're actually now my second guest from Ohio. I'm so sad. <laughs> anyway. Did he go to Ohio State? I went to Ohio State. Did you go to Ohio State? I did. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if I knew that. Um, the Ohio State University. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll go Wolverines. Um, but. <laughs> no, no, no. I got I to gotta fan the flames a little bit. Get a little sassy with you. Um, okay. So you grew up in Portsmouth, Ohio. No. If you're from there, it would be pronounced Portsmouth. So right there on the banks of the Ohio River, is that correct? That is correct. It is so close to Kentucky that the town on the other side is called South Portsmouth, Kentucky. Interesting. Okay. So you, that's where you grew up with the high school? Yep. That's where I grew up, where I went to high school. Okay. Um, yeah, my family had been in the area for so long. I don't think of myself as a terribly interesting person, right? Because I know everything that there is to know about me. And so I always like to hear about others. So we just lost our like three lists. about myself. Right. Okay. So I don't like to talk about myself so much. So, however, 
I will do that for you. There's only been one other time that I've had to go through this kind of thing. So okay. it's yeah, my first. You did sign uh, up for this though. So my little hometown, you is reached the point where they're taking out four-way lighted stops and putting in stop signs. It, it's just, you know, collapsing. You know, so it's a great place to be from. Do mm. you still have family there? Not anymore. Okay. Uh, my mother died about a year ago. So that's it. I mean, I may have distant relatives. And again, when you're from such a small town, I have streets that were named after parents and grandparents and stuff like that. So I assure you there's somebody left there that I'm related to, or if I went somewhere, they would immediately recognize me and be like, Hey, but beyond that, it's not, um, I I don't really think of it as home anymore. I think Houston primarily is home. It's the place I've lived the longest since I left there. So, but if I do happen to go through Portsmouth, I can just drop your name and maybe get some special deals or. It is reasonably possible. Okay. Um, okay. Depending on where you are. Okay. Uh, so for anybody out there listening who happens to be going through Portsmouth, uh, his name is Jim Miller. Make sure you drop the Jim <laughs> Miller reference. Yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. So I've worked my whole life as long as I can remember. I'm always working at something. I'm not a good employee. So I've, I've often found myself starting businesses, selling them, doing things with them. I don't identify by what I do for a living and I don't let other men get away with that either. And I'll tell you why in you know, a little bit, Sure, but it's, it's one of those things that really sort of stuck with me from my grandfather. Well, we'll get into that because as we zoom in a little bit, kind of in your, the whole father role and your father. And- right you as a father. So obviously you referenced you went to Ohio State and then now, you know, you live in Houston. Real quick, your high your immediate family. Well, so I have a half brother that lives in Tennessee. That's really all that I have left besides my wife and my daughter. Okay. Okay. So wife and you're a father of a daughter. I'm a girl dad. You're a girl dad. I so I hear like there's a big hashtag girl dad movement. Are you a part of that? No. Okay, good. Okay. No, I, I, I've always identified that way anyway. Okay. Um, you know, it's like going to the Barbie movie. I'm a girl there. Of course, I'm going well, to you the just, movie. you just kind of stole my thunder. Cause I was going to say as an opening question, they got to break the ice gem since it's quite a long time since we've kind of been able to like verbally jab at each other. But what movies have you seen lately, Jim? <laughs> the most recent film I've seen <laughs> was the Barbie movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, good. Funny. I was just going to ask you about that and we're not going to go on a 10 minute analysis of the barbie movie but the fact that you just announced that publicly means you're a very confident man yeah i have i have no shame when it comes and the fact that you went by yourself during the day i think is even more admirable yeah those people i'd worry about because you know i went (laughs) with my wife and my daughter during the day for matinee because it's Uh really cheap out in brenham so you obviously you you've been in houston you have a daughter a wife here and jim you know one of the things too is as you know just through our conversations is that just to hear people's stories and if there's anything, you know, as we talk that you share that again, could give encouragement to dads out there. You know, one thing we're kind of zooming in, but obviously where the conversation takes us, takes us, but is that role of a father, you know, and just kind of all the the highs and lows of that. And, and as you know, as we spoke a little bit last week, you know, I'm leveraging this show as a new older dad, just taking notes of what did you right. do wrong? What did you do right? And, you know, traditions and, you know, fun things you do that I can kind of like selfishly use and incorporate. So that's what I'm looking for too, is, as far as our conversation tonight, because you are a pretty creative. I, I feel like I'm a people person, but I feel like, you know, there's 
really only one Jim Miller that I've ever met out there. Um, you are very unique, and I mean that in a very positive way. Stop it, you'll make me cry. Oh, stop it. But um, you really have been such a blessing to me and, and known you all through all these years. But so I can't wait for the audience just to to kind of hear what's going on in that crazy brain of yours. So tell us, you know, if we could, you know, again, go back in time a little bit to Portsmouth, Ohio, a little Jimbo or Jim Cyrus, right? That is correct. There you go. Okay. So we got it out there. Jim Cyrus growing up on the banks of the Ohio River. Tell us about maybe your father. What was that relationship like growing up there? Well, for me, I was a later life child for my father. He was 52 years old when I was born. He was born himself in 1919. Okay. So let me pause and just let that sink in. More for me, I wasn't quite as old as your dad when he had you. Almost. So that's actually interesting because that's kind of kind of where I am with dynamic with my child. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So older yeah, dude. I just, well, I just turned 52 myself, right? So this I am now the age where I actually have had a male role model in my life that would be similar to me because prior to that, I had no idea. Okay. What am I supposed to look like in my 40s? Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Right. So basically, so, you're, you're, you're the age now of when your dad had you. That's correct. And as my wife and I had a conversation, she's like, how would you feel if you just had a newborn? I'm like, oh, well, I'd enjoy I'm, it actually, but. I was going to ask you because I'm kind of a little bit kind of wary of, kind of, but raise <laughs> it. But I don't want my daughter bringing one home to me. Right. Okay. That's so. true. That's fair. That's fair. So Matt, if you're listening, there you go. So older father, 52, when you popped into the world. Right. So I, and that also meant that I had older grandparents. Um, I, I was a later life child for my mother as well. She was in her thirties, but she, both her mother and father had already deceased. I, the only grandparents I had were my paternal ones, my, you know, my grandmother and my grandfather. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up. It was really a tradition that every Sunday we would be at my grandparents' house. Okay. Every Sunday period. Rain, shine, didn't matter what. Was that a huge influence for you? They were, yes, and being there was. Okay. One of the really odd things that I don't think I've ever seen anybody else do that came from that household was that my grandparents would move around wherever they were needed. So mm -hmm. my, my father had three siblings, and my grandparents lived near the siblings when their children were young so they'd be there to help take care of them but in all of their houses four houses that i'm aware of and many more they would always have a room for each of their kids and up in ohio they have base we have basements so I've, the boy heard that term yes you've never seen one probably no. you think of them as dank horrible places i do yeah movies so i feel like bad things happen yeah, we have a lot of people that have things called daylight basements, which had include walkouts. And a lot of times there's like a swimming pool or something that you can walk out to. But oh, okay. So my, my grandparents would have a room for each of their kids. And the boys were in the basement and the girls were upstairs. There was always a bedroom. It was always available. But the, the weird thing was, if you were going to stay there, you had to pay room and board or help around the house. Hey, your grandparents. Yeah. Okay. It was mine's the only family that I've known that ever did that. But we would if my dad stayed there, we either had to go up and do dishes or, you know, cook dinner or he had to pay room and board. You really had to pay? Yes. 
really had to actually pay. As and a green back, that go Well, to participate, and if my father wasn't there, like I'd walk home from school and I would stop at my grandparents' house and they'd want to feed me, I'd have to sit in his chair at the table. They kept an open chair for each of their children at the dining table. Wow. Did it? Okay. It's a different thing. Uh, I haven't seen it anywhere else, but I know how they came about it. That feeds into, as I said before, why I don't allow men to get away with identifying themselves by what they do for a living. So my my father is most influential person in his life, and the reason why I'm named the odd name I got was his grandfather. So that would have been my great-grandfather. His father fought in the Civil War, ended up with TB, went out west, left the son to take care of the business. And in the process of all of that, he grew his family, and he had this idea that you had to have a work ethic. So when my father was young, as soon as he was able to work at the age of 11, my grandfather got him a job and then made him pay room and board. I think my dad made like $2 a week or something. He had to pay a $1.75 room and board and then had to take and share his leftover money with his brother. They would go to the movies and things like that. So to clarify, though, is this just a family Miller no, or just with a southern, south central Ohio? <laughs> So I, I actually, one of the few people that know exactly where I came from on both sides of my family. And I know that because of my grandmother and they, we held a lot of traditions in that household because of my grandmother from both sides of my family, where we came from and how we got to where we are. Uh, but I have much more direct influence from that side. So being the youngest grandchild, my grandfather would spend tons of time with me. My grandmother would spend tons of time with me. But when you think about where we're from, all right, so if you looked at the map and you see how the Ohio River flows, you basically, my family ended up where they are because of railroad or river. You ever heard of the Hatfields and McCoys? Sure. So my grandmother was on the McCoy side and my, like my mother's family were Hatfields. You know, they supported the Hatfields, not name, but in what they did. You know, it's Logan County, West Virginia, which was originally part of Virginia when they did all the original land grants, right? My mother's main name was Penn, as in William Penn. I'm like 12th great grandfather or something like that. Not that it you know does anything for you other <laughs> than the fact that I have a, his life, his biography sitting in my daughter's room with the horrible picture of him on the cover staring at her while she sleeps. Maybe it serves a purpose. <laughs> well, it does in that in that it gives her some sense of you know like I get anchor over family from how we came, how how we are, why we are who we are, right? Right. This didn't just happen. My mother was also her family. Have you ever heard of this guy Tecumseh? Yes, Indian guy. Yes. So in Ohio, they have a play that discusses his life. And he is also one of my great grandfathers. Now, arguably, they claim that the birth that's attributed to him did not occur or was not his, but they still in Ohio have the big play. So it's an outdoor drama. So you dropped that card to give VIP front row seats? Uh, No, (laughs) never once. Um, But so my point in that is that, you know, on that side, it always let me know that no matter what I did, 
I, I, nobody's ever going to name a state after me and they're not going to have a big drama about my life. Okay. But on the other end of that, you know, I had my, my grandparents and my grandmother telling me exactly what happened, why we are where we are and how we got here. She was a, she was a dar, you know, the daughters in the American revolution. So she was very interested in history. And since I was the the firstborn son of her firstborn son, even though I came along really late, she felt it was her duty to let me know all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, for me, they were useful, not that they put money in my pocket, but that they came with family artifacts, if you will. Like I have my, my grandfather Hill, the guy I'm named after, I have his son of a union, um, veteran pin that he would wear when he'd go in the parade. And I have my his father guy's name was sylvester i have his i have a gold a gold dollar from 1853 that used to have a hole in it because there was a cord put through it his mother gave it to him when he went off to war and she told him to wear it so that hopefully if if he didn't come home that someone would give him a decent christian burial wow that's good stuff though you know it just adds more yeah. context and well you know color to 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 your pedigree if you will to your history right but so for me like that little coin helped me through a lot of moments right if i know i'm going off to do something awful well i'm never going off to do anything that awful but it was nice to have in my pocket yeah that heirloom it's just a connection right yeah as far as with your father what was that relationship like and again i'm I'm a little curious being that i'm someone in the same boat i would have described my father as my best friend for most of my life, my father was my best friend. Really? So, yeah. so why would, but did you, because again, I'm curious, like, you know, I know there's generational, you know, mindsets as far as fathers, again, the stereotype, one generation of right. hard workers work late. You know, I show my love to you by providing a roof and food on the table, you know, and not overly emotional blah, 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 or expressing, you know, words of affirmation or love, but but what did that look like for y'all, your relationship? Did y'all do things together? You know, we used to these your hero. Why? What was it? He was my best friend. We did everything together. Basically, as soon as I got out of school, I was with him every day. We'd go to the library when I wasn't in school. <laughs> if he had to go to court for something, I'd put on a little suit and go with him. He taught me how to go down to the window at the courthouse and request records or books to look up the records and request copies. Okay, so what was, what was this? What was this trade? What was this? Was he a lawyer? He was a lawyer. He was an attorney. Okay, but I feel like generally, boys, young men, we tend to open up and and share when we're doing stuff together, like you you know side by side fishing or whatever that is. We we tend to open up. Um, right. I, I'm a worker. Right. That's what I've always done. We wouldn't go watch a football game for example he loved baseball but he was an active doer he wouldn't want to sit and watch baseball he'd want to play it uh and and i really got that from him that i i don't sit and watch i do i would much rather be actively doing anything than sitting in a chair beyond his regular work which at the point where i was born had wound down quite a bit at that time people would retire in their mid to late 50s oh interesting right Social Security, I think, kicked in at like 62, right? So unless you were working at, at a factory or something, you would usually be semi-retired at, at that age. 
So I spent, I did, I spent a lot of time with him. I didn't have a whole lot of friends growing up as a result of the fact that he made me an adult way earlier than all my friends. How did he instill, and I'm not trying to presume, but how did right. he, did he instill a work ethic and, and grit? And was it by, you know, I think sometimes, you know, my last guest, we talked a big about, you, you better practice what you preach. Right. Lead by example. Lead by example. Um, and he shared some really interesting, funny stories. You know, my dad, when he got pulled over by a cop, he would fake it, even though he was like steaming mad, but he would be like, yes, sir. Thank you. I was in the wrong. You <laughs> try to set the example. So right. how did he instill that in you? Well, he, he wouldn't ask me to do something that he couldn't do or wasn't willing to do. There was nothing that was beneath him. If he wouldn't do it, he wouldn't ask me to do it. But growing up, I was always very inquisitive. And so he didn't do anything to stop that. Instead, he really pushed it. And so, like, I remember playing with um, tube testers, vacuum tube testers, taking them apart, or stereo equipment or televisions, taking them apart, seeing what makes them work when I was like five or six. That's cool. Right. And so he would, he would, you know, get me started on that. I would, for the longest time, I thought that a ratchet handle, you know, the ratchet wrenches was like a magician's wand, right? Because he would reinterpret things. I mean, so like he read to me the Iliad and the Odyssey and all sorts of other books every night before we go to bed. And even when I was living with my mother, because my parents were divorced, he'd still call me on the phone and read to me every night. Wow. So like when they talk about the Stygian witches, for example, in, in one of the stories, you know, the witches that share an eye that shows the future. And he knew that, you know, that when he was reading that to me, I was probably like maybe four. Um, and he changed the characters from being witches so they weren't wouldn't scare me to being squirrels and the eye not being an eye, it being an acorn. Interesting. But so that's, I mean, so when you give me credit for being creative, I grew up in a creative household. And that's, that's one of the biggest gifts that my father gave me is I don't typically see a problem as a problem. You know, it's something breaks. It's like, oh, cool. It broke. Now I get to fix it. Right. Or I get to know how it works. I don't see it as, oh my gosh, that broke. Now I have to call yeah, it a challenge or yeah, it's. It, it's just something my father had this idea because he was in the grew up in the depression is that he wanted to make sure that I would always be okay. Right. That no matter what happened, that I could have a job that I could feed myself, feed my family. So like when something broke in the house, like the furnace, right. I'm 10 years old. The furnace isn't working. He takes me to the library. We get a book on fixing furnaces. He'll buy me whatever tool I need. He'll come down and check on me, but overall, he leaves me alone while I'm repairing the furnace. And that was, it needed a new thermocouple, you know, that kind of thing. Did you ever go through a phase, though, uh, as you were getting into that? Uh, I'm curious too, because it's like, I, I, like, I'm a little self conscious as far as like being that I'm going to be an older dad, you know, when right. my son gets to middle school and high school. And I think maybe there's, maybe there's a kind of a, like a little rite of passage or there's always that father son tension, maybe of just like, I want to be my own person and I want to be my own man, you know? Well, but was there ever that with your father? That well, I'm not, I didn't have it, but I'm not going to wish it on you for the reason that I didn't have it. My father died when I was 15. Oh, Okay. All right. And he began getting ill a bit earlier. 
I was supposed uh, to go off for high school to Exeter. And where, um, where's that? Uh, it's one of the one of the schools up in the East Coast that usually gets you and denied elite if you graduate. Okay, so you were getting like destined there for like it's a boarding school. Yeah. Okay. He wouldn't let me go. We'd already made all the plans, had had made a deposit, everything, and then as school started my freshman year, he wouldn't let me go. Uh, I get you. Yeah, we did. We didn't like that. I didn't like it. I wanted something else, but he didn't. He wasn't forthcoming as to the why. I found out why a few months later when he was diagnosed with cancer and it was terminal. Okay, but he knew he was ill. So, so it was a little bit not to sound, but it was a little bit of a maybe a selfish to keep you close by because of oh, the diagnosis. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, it's selfish because he knew that I, I would take care of him, but on the other hand, he will. So, um, I think that people, when they reach the point, they know themselves, they're going to die. And God is having that little conversation in the back of their head, welcoming them home. They have some moments of clarity. And so like with my father, I went down the night before he passed to give him his medication and he refused to take it. He didn't want to take it. And he just wanted me to sit and talk to him. And one of the things that he asked me, he says, um, will you be okay? And he said, dad, I'll be great. Don't worry about me. So if I were to have the opportunity to actually talk to him again, that's what I'd like to like for him to see is that I'm okay. More than okay. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. I appreciate you sharing that because that was actually would be a potential question for me is like, what would you, what would you tell them now? And right. I guess you kind of answer that. Well, that for me, that is, you know, and I always talk to him anyway. Right. I think, mm -hmm. well, what would my father do? Why would he do it? Right. You know, once you have him, once people like that have enough impact on your life, they're with you forever. Absolutely. So you had good, you felt like you had obviously good closure with your dad. Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing left on the table that needed to be talked about. Going back a little bit, the divorce, you I didn't know that. You alluded to your parents' divorce. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, how old were you when that happened? And what was that like as far as the dynamics with your mom and your dad? And My father told me that it was easier for him to get a divorce than it was for him to get along. My mother was his third marriage. And the only reason that they got married is because she was pregnant. A couple of years later, they get a divorce because he just, they couldn't function together as a couple. They were great as friends, right? Not having to live with each other, not being responsible for each other, not having to share anything except me. Uh, my mother was kind enough, like when my father was reaching the end of his life, to move him to an apartment near me so that I could go to school and she'd listen to the baby monitor and know if he needed anything, take care of it. And then when I came home, I took over, right? So they had a great relationship. They weren't argumentative. They weren't adversarial, but they just, they couldn't work together, right? They yeah. couldn't live with each other. Okay. Are you the only child in the family or as far as I'm the only, I'm the only product of the, of the two of oh, the Okay. Yeah, I have two half brothers and two half sisters. Okay. Uh, my, my half sisters are much older than I am. And my father really wanted a son. And when I was born, my father made this deal with God and he said, you know, if, if you'll give me a son, 
I will quit drinking and I will quit smoking. My father had smoked since he was 11 years old. 11? Yeah, that's when he had his first job. If you didn't smoke, you didn't get a smoking break. So he picked up smoking right away. Oh, that's interesting. I probably would have been the same way. <laughs> right. right. It's like, oh, get my break. But by the so when I came along, he was smoking five packs of Lucky Strikes a day. Oh my! Wow, was that the connection with the cancer? Oh yeah, no doubt. Okay, that's non-filtered cigarette. Okay. Oh wow! He's never smoked a filtered cigarette in his life. He went from roll your own when he was you know poor working kid just trying to get the break. He, he's always said that the happiest day of his life was the day that he could afford a pack of ready-made cigarettes. Gosh, you don't hear that every day. No, <laughs> but again, that's a, that's such a such a different generational yes, thing. Yes, right. I was always in high school. I was always better friends with the mothers of my friends or girlfriends or whatever than I was with the people because I had more in common. Yeah, because of all the influence that the these older people had in my life, I had so much more in common in terms of just conversations or knowledge or anything with the parents of the kids rather than the kids. Mm-hmm. They put so you, they put up with me. Well, but but to some degree, how this has all molded you, right? I mean, we're all, I guess, products of our of our environment. But you know, it molded you to grow, you had to grow up really fast. I mean, number yeah, one, you had, you, you yeah. have an older father. You know, I don't know how much that plays into it, but and then also I he passed away when you were fifteen, and right, and well, you I have, have an older father who was who felt that death was coming for him. Right. He knew what he'd done to himself. I mean, he also was a drinker. He was well known as a binge drinker who would go when court the courtroom closed on Friday, he would go to get a bottle and would wouldn't sober up till he needed to be in court on Monday morning. So he did though, like that promise to God that you referenced when you were born, did he stop? Oh yes. He did. Cold turkey. So man of his word. Yeah, well, there was a little more involved in that. So he didn't just get a son. I was born blue and I only weighed five pounds. So I was tiny and they had me in the incubator and there was a lot more conversations with God going on before I got to go home. I got you. So there's a yeah, yeah, little bit more weight to the. So he would smoke an occasional cigar for celebration, right? And by occasional, I mean once every six months or so and if he ever drank he would drink because he had to do it socially and he would always have three beers no more no less okay because he felt that one beer would just leave him wanting more and he felt that if he had if as long as he had three he could walk away from it and not think about it yeah i love the he did, he was not afraid to share this stuff with me because so he... again he didn't expect to be around well, you know, and I think too, in Jim, I don't know if this rings true with like your peers or you with your daughter, you know, a lot of my friends and guests on this show and a lot of my friends, you know, I feel like I have somewhat maybe of a little bit of advantage besides being a really old far dad is that so many friends have said, number one time flies and you can't get that time back. You know, also too, I might've like not have played golf every weekend or gone hunting every weekend to do my quote guy stuff you know, and been a little bit more intentional with my kids now that I could go back, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty, and, exactly. and and not that I like, you know, every waking hour and doing, and doing stuff with my son, but I'm an older dad. And, and so I think I'm trying to be intentional about really having 
time with him and family time because life is short, you know? So I wonder with your father, if there was more of a, of an intentionality of that time with you, a being an older dad, but also too with it, that diagnosis, does that ring true or, or, or even with your daughter, the, you know, and so for, for him, he expected to die early. Yes. Right. He didn't expect to be there my entire life. He was very aware of that. Uh, he hadn't, didn't have the cancer diagnosis when he was still teaching me as if he wasn't going to be there. Um, what, what, or the reason why he did that is that when my, when my father was young, his father was never home. His father was started as a welder and would work in shipyards. And when he married my grandmother, uh, my grandfather pulled some strings and got him a job with the railroad as a, an engineer on a steam train. He was never home. So that's one of the reasons why they kept rooms for their kids in their house is that they wanted them back. He wanted that time back. As much of it as he could get, he wanted it back. But also your dad was very intentional about that quality time. Yep. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was without a doubt. The other biggest advantage that I think that an older parent has is you know who you are, right? You're not trying to figure things out. You've pretty much figured out as much as you're going to <laughs> at, at you know, by the time you get your fifties, well, I don't know about as much as you're going to grow up. I know I was going to like, shoot, <laughs> I still don't know if I really know what I'm doing, you know, but I get the idea. I still don't know if I'm there. <laughs> right. But for, but for me with Maddie, right. Because I had my father who would take me anywhere. I never felt like anywhere I went was off limits for her. And if she shouldn't go there, maybe I shouldn't go there either. What do you mean by that? Go there. Like if it were a place or a thing that I wouldn't be willing to take her to, maybe I shouldn't go. Right. But that's one of those things where it's, you know, I grew up, I was present with my father. I went to really fancy restaurants as a kid. I, he was, you know, as an attorney and a politician, I sat with, I had a Frisch's big boy with John Glenn. Wow. Right. Stuff like that. That's cool. My father took me everywhere literally everywhere if he was going i was going to if i was able to go you know just looking back at the fact that you sounds like he you really were the apple of his eye you know that what a blessing a gift you were to him and vice versa and kind of this beautiful story obviously with the unfortunate you know basically with the passing that with you being such a young age and you're kind of the age of when you kind of were starting high school without a father and yeah, but it, it didn't break me. It made me, right? Well, sure. You know, it could go either way, right? And I'm assuming right. because, of, because of who he was as a person, but also to what he did for you, he kind of was laying down that foundation for you. Because ultimately, right, I hope that dad's listening out there is that you want a independent child. Like you want somebody who can stand on their own who knows who they are and it, right? And Right. In his short or your short life, he kind of established that, established that for you, that has served right. you well to this day. I mean, it, it was intentional on his part. So when I deal with Maddie, I have the same intentionality. I do things with her with future thoughts in mind. Right. I'm not going to do like my father did with me going and making me buy a package of condoms at 12. Right. But 
Um, I'm still going to think about not just tomorrow, but five years down the road or 10 years down the road, how did these things or this choice, how does it impact her? Right. So with Maddie, I know that she is a, in terms of her growth as a person, she's not a ramp. She doesn't go up in tiny little degrees and mild improvements. She's a stair stepper. It's nothing, 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 everything, nothing, nothing, nothing. Right. So where we are at a current impasse is trying to get her to want to drive a car. She doesn't want to. Mm. Right. And she's very stubborn. And over the years, I've learned that we can't really push her. Right. Kind of have to lead her. So little bits, little bits leading her to the idea of, okay, well, you can get the license, right? You just don't have to drive just because you have one, like a lot of your friends do. We can still take you. Don't worry about that. Right. Those kinds of things. So you have to, I have to feel her out to understand what her fears actually are and then address them in a casual non threatening non threatening yep <laughs> for a simple oh well you know you're worried about the fact that you'll have to drive everywhere but don't worry about that i love to drive you know it yep. just would be nice yep. for you to be able to if you need to wouldn't it so we, she's promised that she's going to do that when she goes off to baylor we're going to get her uh driving lessons with uh one of the places in waco well that's like my son with uh potty shredding <laughs> yeah, but you can't go to the potty for him. I, you're right. You're right. But it's that there's a little bit of some stubborn. There's a little bit of I'll do it when I want to do it. I'm like, okay. I mean, eventually, you you know, it's going to happen. I'm not worried about it. Like whether you walk around middle school with diapers, that's your call. But wouldn't be your right. first kid. But I, I don't uh, think you want to know how that kid turned out. I well, I. I think I've seen several of them in recent recent years. Um, that's a whole nother podcast. To kind of transition, yeah, and you've you've started kind of go down this road, which is great. You know, you now as a father, and I appreciate you though sharing and being so vulnerable and open us about your father because I feel like too you're such a, a testimony to your father. You know, he is proud. He is looking, he is seeing. And so he's done well, you know, even in your short period of time. So thank you for kind of in a, in a, in a, in a fun way, paying tribute to your father through our, our conversation. The last thing that I do want to ask about your father specifically, sure. in, but what was the best advice that your dad gave you or something that really stands out of all the th- things that you've kind of paid tribute to your father? So the best advice I got from my father, bar none, he wasn't the person who came up with it. It's this guy named Aristotle, and it's all things point to some good, right? So in my life, when people make me do things that I don't want to do, or when things happen that I don't want to have happen, I have intentionally looked for some good in it since I, as far back as I can remember. I think of it as the light at the end of the tunnel. Would he quote Aristotle? Would he quote that to you? He would have once I was old enough that he'd know what I what it was. I had to read Aristotle. By the time that I was in college, I you know, and they're having me read it. I'd I'd been re- I've been reading it since I was like ten. You know, that's one of the problems with my my father and the way that he taught me is that when I was in kindergarten, I could read at an eighth grade level. 
So I found myself bored to tears most of the time. And it'll fit support stuff, but this is Portsmouth, Ohio. Yeah, I know. No, but that was the those <laughs> tests that they give you that are national tests. Yeah. They, I was always the, you know, the, the high end of those things. And it's like, I grew up with the ideas of Aristotle as normal. Like I thought everybody knew that. Who, who doesn't know that? As you're dropping your William Penn connection to your friends. No, actually, the only time that that came up was with the um, with the Quaker uh, oat box. Well, <laughs> I don't know if they're, your friends are like, here he goes again about freaking Aristotle. No, I, I actually, I got the connection. I got the, he looks kind of like you. Yeah. Wait, could you, well, could you knock it off with the Quaker outfit, Jim? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't think that was our theme for this Friday at high school. No, but I mean, the one positive that those things actually did for me, not that I sat around telling people about them or even put them in, in, in talking to teachers about them, is that when, when history came along, right, I paid attention because I didn't see, I, it wasn't somebody preaching at me about something. It actually was people or situations that had meaning to them. A little more context, a little bit more meaningful, more rich for you, because I guess that, right. that, that foundation had kind of been already poured finding the good in everything yep you've got it's you have to intentionally look for a positive in everything that you do or anything that happens to you right we, from a faith standpoint what does god want you to learn you know when when you're going through these things what are you supposed to learn mm-hmm. right well that yeah that's that's awesome uh as far as uh that thing that you kind of still hold true or you still hold because I was actually my last guest we were talking about because he's a principal of a of a large public school up in um, Massachusetts. And I was saying, like, you learn from just as much your bad bosses from your good bosses. So maybe it's like what not to do. You know, yeah. it's, some people are examples of what not to do. Exactly. So there's some positives in that. And I think it's moving to that mindset of gratitude. If we can kind of really shift to a, a, a mindset of gratitude, it kind of will change our paradigm a little bit. Right. Now, zooming in on, Jim Miller, Houston dad, but what has been the greatest challenge to you as a father? Patience. Patience. So do you think that you're not a patient person? Oh, I am painfully patient, Uh, but she, you know, she has figured out how to test mine over the year. Gosh, I need to talk more. I need to get some advice. She had a speech issue when she was very, very young and she went to speech therapy She's also very impulsive and she has this sense of right and wrong that you wish people had more of, right? So for example, she couldn't talk clearly. Most people couldn't understand her and she would be playing on the playground when she was like three years old or four years old and a big boy went over and took the tricycle from a little boy, just pushed him off. Mm. Maddie watches it. Maddie's response to that is she goes over to the big boy, bites him, takes the tricycle and gives it to the little kid. Right? So when I'm dealing with being patient, it has to do more with how do I not destroy the parts that are so valuable for society and for her in that situation while trying to get through to her what is expected, right? It's very good that she saw that something bad was happening and she wanted to stop it. 
right? She saw the she, Well, she saw the injustice and she took matters into her own hand. But right? there's a bad thing about that. And the or bad her mouth. About it is people don't expect people to do that anymore, right? We no longer live in a society where, it's, where fighting words exist or it's okay to invite somebody outside to settle the matter, right? People can act and do whatever they want with impunity, right? So it's trying to teach her how to function in that world without losing that sense of, you know, that is a wrong thing to do and I'm not going to do it to others and I don't want to stand around and let people do it to you either. Okay. So, so if, if I'm hearing it correctly, maybe one manifestation of this is that tension of, I want to preserve the dignity of you and who innately you are. Uh, right. When you, when you see injustice, do you want to correct it? But maybe in our culture society you're going to have to look at other ways to do that or as opposed to going up and just <laughs> fighting them and taking it back you know, fighting them so yeah playing by societal norms i guess am i worried about well so here she, yeah it is but so here she is you know all these years later she is a camp counselor for her summer job at uh friends uh, day camp and basically she comes home and tells me almost every day about some kid she had to write up because she's just not putting up with that, right? And the person who runs the camp tells me that she is her their best employee, <laughs> which they have more of her, you know? So if you can maintain the natural things that you see that they have and that it could serve them well while getting them to hone it into something that's more acceptable for the people around them. Yeah, it's how do you... Because your, your greatest strength can be your greatest weakness, but how do you... Also to instill maybe some self-awareness. Is that fair to Right, but it's very hey, hard you, to do when they're three or when they're they're seven. Right. 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 Those are the worst times, the hardest times to do because they get all the wrong messages, regardless of what you want to tell. Because as a parent, you're still trying to figure it out when they're two and three. Like, what's happening? Oh, all right. She sees injustice and she's but she's going about the wrong way. And Maybe for teachers and peers, it's through maturation and over time. That's, I guess, when they quote discipline to be a disciple, to teach, to mentor. She's like an understudy to you. You're mentoring her. You're showing her the the right way. It's kind of a it's it's you're seeing the manifestations of all that hard work. Right. But how do you, when there's three or four, display appropriate behavior for situations that you're not around? especially in institutionalized ones where they really have these rules set forth in order to make the system flow easily, as opposed to seeing the individuality of each child and what's the most valuable thing in that instance, right? Well, and I'll say, yeah, well, my role as a dean at an elementary school, which I feel like you're kind of looking at me, hey, person in the institution that's dealing with kids with... (laughs) You know, you know, the flip side, I I don't know. And that's why I'm asking, because what if my son starts to exhibit things and he is, he's doing things, you know, like the nose and the, you know, it's like, ah, but yeah, but you've got to figure it out pretty well. You deal with it with humor, right? You you don't take something that's a realistically a nothing and turn it into something huge. Well, laugh about it and teach self-awareness, right? Yeah. It's, It's when you can't be there as a parent, right? And you, you're having to deal with it as an outsider for a situation that you'll never get all the details on. And you're trying to get them to understand, well, we don't bite people, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I, I, I used to refer to her as my shrew because she was, she was such a biter. 
Yeah. And and that's, I think too, like in my role, you know, with, with students and now obviously with, with my son, it's trying to figure out, like strip it down to what's that the core issue. Cause we're all generally, it's an, it's an unneed, it's, it's a, a, a need that hasn't been met. Right. And right. what's, what's at the heart of this, you know? So, okay. Yes. I can't fifth grader. I can't have you just going and whacking somebody in the, in the nuts. Like, you know, not, that, not, not great. So I do need to deal with that. But why did you high five and laugh about it? Right. High five and laugh. And then, okay, well, because you chose to do it that way, however, we have to pay in this manner. Yeah. But like, what were you, what were you needing at that time? Where, you know, like, what was, what's happening? What's the backstory to this? You know, let's get to, if we can't get to the root of it, are you feeling insecure or you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So, see, but you have to realize that that's not the norm, right? The norm realistically for most people and the situations that their kids are in because they're not in private school and, you know, for whatever reason, it really just is people trying to make the system go smoothly. Or we just kind of snuff it. I don't want to get into the, I don't want to get to the nitty gritty, the stuff that's going to have, like, it's going to take time away from me. I don't want to get into the ugly stuff, you know? And, but I've got, I've got teaching I have to do. Right. I don't have time for this. Well, that's to me, that's the secret sauce. That's, you, you got to get dirty. You got to get in there. And um, because I, I feel like in the long run, it's going to serve you better. Kids are perceptive. They know that if you really have their hearts or they know that you're, you don't really care. Patience has been, you feel like with the biggest challenge for you. Right. Obviously. And well, if you were to ask most people who knew me prior to having a kid, they would probably tell you I'm the most patient person will know. The injury so for me to say like you're the most, generally the most, chilled person that's what that's why i want to interview your daughters like how can i get under your dad's skin more <laughs> this is great uh see that's that's another lesson from my father you know what that that is store up your treasures in heaven oh stop it is if you put the things that are you're so vulnerable for in a place where people can't touch them they can't really get to you can they well i don't know man i'll tell you, you you've worked with middle school kids and i feel like that to me <laughs> yep. Yeah, that to me, man. Kids can smell weakness a mile away. Yeah. They smell it. They're going to keep. They're going to keep on jabbing. So, like, you have got to like, you know, <laughs> put on your best. Because I, you know, it's funny too. This is a little bit off topic, but I remember when I came back to work at the school where you and I, you know, met. I had it had been a while since I've been working with middle school kids. But I remember I got into. I remember the hallway exactly where I was. It was this eighth grade boy, and he said something to me. The like, it it hit kind of a, a like a, I would say a insecurity that you know I think we're all kind of walking wounded from our middle school years to some degree, and he said something that kind of triggered an insecurity in me, and it like made me almost like get down to his level. But I remember being in the moment going like, "What are you doing?" Like self awareness, talking to myself, like you're getting down to his level. He's a eighth grader you're like in your upper 30s young 40s you know it's interesting how i don't know it was just how he he kind of got me well you need to see the barbie movie <laughs> oh gosh now we're back to barbie um we are this is where we need to edit this out um <laughs> no, feel free but no I'm there, kidding, is, I'm there is a middle school scene in barbie that really gets to the root of that where here's and i don't want to ruin it for you I uh, but it. you, as as people who've been around kids, right, in a, in an institutional or educational 
setting. There's so much depth in that particular film that you're just going, uh-huh. So with your daughter, how have you, and the things that you shared about her and, and, and the patients and be, kind of being who she is, you know, and I'll say as a, as a father of a, of a girl, but how do you instill, and you know, I'll say for, for boys that they're a different animal. How did you, you and your wife, and I'll say she's still a work in progress, you know, going, going to be a freshman in college next year, but to instill, and I think this is a, the hope for, for every parent, I, I hope, and this is, is for me and my stepdaughter, but how do you instill that confidence that this is who I am? You know, my foundation is not on sand and I'm not going to fall to the whims of everything. You know, how do you instill that confidence in her? I'll give you an example that I think really shows it for us in that when she was applying to colleges, right, we talked about the colleges she would apply to, and I didn't want her applying to any college that was so far away that it would require a day and a half of travel to see her, right? Because we know who she is and she has to have a, a, a firm connection to home, right? So in the process of those varying decisions of colleges, she decided that she wanted to apply to like colleges in Ohio and, you know, for me and uh, one of the colleges her mother went to for her and then several for herself, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She applied to 15 schools. Wow. Do you know how many she got into? 15. 15 most of them with scholarships, right? Wow. Wow. Because I let her, I didn't ch- I didn't say no. I didn't try to, to say, well, you know, I typically only apply to three or four. I talked to her about what her strength is. I know my child, I know her strength and her strength is writing. And she, when they had those essays that they wanted them to do, she didn't see it as work. She saw it as a challenge. Like, oh, you need me to do a special essay just for you? All right, then. Wow. Right? That's unusual. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I would attempt to. That's that's the and So that was her, you know, because she'll never have my ability with maths and science. Right? But she could, she may one day surpass me when it comes to writing. Right? And I hope for that. Sure. Sure. She sees that as an opportunity. So she took it. She ran with it. And she felt the benefit of it. And, you know, I'm very proud of her for getting into all those schools, you know, even though she chose one of the more expensive ones. <laughs> yeah. But through that whole process, and I guess what, what are some takeaways for some parents out there, you know, it, it, but, but is it like, when do you as a parent step in? When do you not? When do you, you know, there's natural consequences or maybe through what you just shared in a weird way that kind of empowers her and gives her that confidence and almost like she's in control of her own decisions, in a, in a I way. Think that a you're, paying, of, you're paying a tuition, but yeah. Well, I think a lot of parents really find themselves not being an advocate as much as they are a director. Right. They try to do it in all sorts of situations. The child has a problem rather than stepping in to try to help the child work through the problem with the people that are around them. They try to avoid the child having the problem at all or make sure that everything works out okay for them or or whatever. And I've always tried to act as an advocate. 
And in the modern world, that's really, really hard to do because most of the people that you're going to be dealing with are used to the other kind. You know, the mama bears, the father that has to come in because the mother didn't get her way and sends the father to do it, right? But in the process of trying to get Maddie to the point where she is and, and see what kind of person was underneath all those layers of growth, it was, a, it was just being her advocate. So sometimes she would want to do things that I don't like, but that didn't mean that I didn't have to be a partner and party to it, right? I'm still there. For, for her, that's what provided her the most opportunity for growth, right? Was I'm the hand. I'm out here if you want it, and I'm not hurt if you don't. What was that like? Because I feel like another thing that's kind of popped up in a lot of my conversations with dads is the open lines of communication and being honest. And, you know, even in my role as a dean of students, you know, in my former school, my current school, if a child made a poor decision that a consequence needed to happen, you know, I would always be like, I'd rather you be honest with me than for me to find out later that you lied. What was that like with your daughter as far as honesty and lines of communication? Well, for her, she had to be taught how to lie. From Pierre's? No, she had, I, I, I kid you not, she, has, she had to sign herself in to um, school if she was late or tardy or something, right? I had to teach her what a white lie was and that it was okay. A white lie was really just something that you would use to protect yourself, right? That didn't harm anyone like blaming me for the fact that you were late. If it was, if it's that important to you, that you don't want to tell someone you were late, right? Because you got up this morning and your hair was a mess and you're, you were in tears in the bathroom trying to get your hair straight or your contacts in or whatever it is, the reason why you're late, because she, it, as well as that strong sense of right and wrong, she also had this really ridiculously strong sense of, you ask me a question, I want to answer it with the truth, right? So that's something that I didn't have to overcome, right? I got the opposite end of that. And that is, I, I have to teach you how to function in the real world that just because somebody asks you a question doesn't mean you have to answer it, uh -huh. right? Or you can answer it with a partial truth and it's something that doesn't matter. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Because most people in order to protect their egos and their feelings go throughout their days telling lots and lots of little lies right? Not the big ones. They're not like, I didn't steal that. Right. But they're, they're not going to tell the whole truth, right? It's a lie of omission rather than a lie of commission kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, I had the other end of that. So trying to teach her how to do that. Right. The other thing in terms of just ha always having communication, we had a nephew come stay with us to for the summer, for his summer job. And he was at one of the camps with kids. And he commented to us about how much we talk to Maddie about her day. And we do it in a way we don't interrogate. We converse, we share. I share my day, you share yours, right? You tell me something you did, I tell you something I did, right? So it's this habit that we had developed. But he commented about that, that it's like, he was told in his training that most children maybe say 10 things for the age group that he had, maybe say 10 things to their parents in an entire day. It's like 
we get 10 things in a car ride in five minutes. And so that, that we would give and take, right? She would share and we would share. Does that still hold true to this day? Oh, yes. Go ahead. If she doesn't say, if we ask her, you know, like, what are you up to? She'll tell us, right? Well, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. She'll text us right now. If if I'm, I'm going to be at this place or that place. We don't worry about, I don't have to worry as much as most parents would about, you know, my daughter climbing out of a window, right? To go hang out with someone because we were never the kind that said those things were not off the table. But also to who she is. Right. Her a lot of it, but you have to identify those things, right? It's who they are and how they fit into your life. Right. right. So like she's going off, went off to line camp and there was a boy in line that I knew she think would think was cute. Right. So I'm discussing with her how she could make sure that the boy noticed her without looking like one of the trampy girls who put themselves all the way, all the way out there and maybe spark his interest. Right. Now, how many dads are going to have that conversation with their daughter? Those that go see Barbie with their daughter. Those, you know, I did that well before Barbie, but that's the point is that I have to accept her for who she is. Right. One day I want to have grandkids. So that means that one day she's going to get married. And that means in order for her to get married, she's going to have to meet a boy. Right. And so in the process of all that, I have to accept she's going to meet a boy. So I would rather teach her how to meet boys that I think may be of good quality or how to attract boys that may be of good quality because I was a boy. It sounds like to, again, it's, it's like, it's a combination of kind of really knowing who your child is and then how to respect and, and honor that and, and not, and not maybe what also maybe holding back your biases or your, yeah, biases and just really just listen, grit your teeth. But the fact that maybe my child is actually sharing with me, even though it's stuff that it's like really hard to hear, that's a win, you know, that they're wanting to share with me. And to not shut that down and puke all your, and maybe as dads to fix things and throw out advice when your child's really not even asking for advice. I still get to be a partner, right? It may not be the same partnership that we had when she was five, but I'm still a partner. That sounds like it's serving her well, for sure. This is a little off topic too, I guess, because I'm curious because I just had this conversation at school today. The last three years, we've been kind of intentional with some social media stuff that we do in the classroom. Uh, and we send a parent, parent education piece to our parents to get them ready for middle school because our school finishes at fifth grade. What was that like with social media with your daughter? And what is that like? Was, did you have to battle any of that? Uh, we had one instance when she was very young and was beginning to use spotify or one of the one of the song services where some person pretending to be a teenage boy had started texting her on that or instant messaging or direct messaging however that system worked i don't really remember which system she was using and but because we've always had these open conversations she tells me about it right and so i look at it like he's got here is this blonde surfer boy that's the picture he's using with, you know, an eight pack worth of abs, not even a six. And I'm going, hmm. And so I'm explaining to her, well, 
do you think this boy needs to meet girls your age on social media, mm -hmm. right? Don't you think that he would have girls meeting him in person and be quite happy to interact with them? Right. So why, why would that person reach out to you? She was very young. And so I, I showed her portions of the, to catch a predator online so that she'd see what those people actually look like. And I had to explain to her what they were actually after. I mean, she, you know, she was of an age where she understood it was middle school. Right. But with that, she has learned to listen to her friend and what goes on in terms of the chaos and craziness and problems of social media uh -huh. and didn't want anything to do with it. Okay. She didn't have a social media account of any kind until she was accepted at Baylor. So she didn't, that was by her own doing her own choice because she, of, because of like you just said, because of observing her peers. Well, she saw it, knew it was stuff she didn't want. We'd bring it up and say, well, do you want to get it? All your friends have it, you know, and she didn't know I don't want it. Right. Oh. But part of that came from early on that, you know, I'm computer literate. And so I was always interested in allowing her those kinds of things. But I took the position that my father did with smoking. And he told me that if I wanted to smoke, that he would buy me the cigarettes and we'd sit down and smoke them together. But don't, but you know, beyond that, I, I'm, he didn't want to hear that I was off doing it on my own. And I never had any interest. It was not like, okay, you can't smoke, don't smoke. Smoking is awful. I knew it was awful. I knew it had caused him, it, you know, that it caused him a lot of grief in his life. Uh, and I saw as, you know, later on the death that it brought to him. But prior to that, it was the, you know, the willingness of like, nothing's off the table. So with Maddie, I was always the same way. Well, if you want that, we can figure out a way to get it. We'll figure out a way to make it happen, right? Rather than saying, no, no, we can't have that. We can't do that. So like with social media, my agreement was, hey, anytime you want it, you know, you can have it. Just make sure that I get to be your friend. And I promise I won't post anything or comment on anything. I just want to be able to, to see what's going on. So if something weird happens, I can help you understand it a little bit. We have that kind of relationship because I nurtured it all the way through. I remember when I went through uh, full disclosure, when I got, I was getting my CHL, my concealed handgun license back in the day, the instructor was like, I want my son to be able to hold it when I clean it. I want to demystify it. I want to take, I want to take the allure away from it. So if he goes over to his friend's house and his buddy's like, oh my gosh, come check out my dad's gun, you know, and it's kind of done in secret. My kid's going to be like, it's not a big deal. I actually clean it. You know, with my dad. Yeah, oh, Maddie gets to say, I've got a pink AR. Anybody's like, oh, I've got a gun. Yeah, I, I go hunting with my dad. I've got a pink AR. I've had it since I was like 12. She's <laughs> never shot it because she doesn't want to. But, you know, like with social media, I don't know if that's, a, if that's a, a, a comparison, but, you know, maybe with the social media or obviously I'm using the gun as an example, but just how do you demystify things? But as a parent, keep your cool and be like, okay, you want to get your ear pierced? Well, cool. All right, well, let's talk about it. Maybe. Why do you want to get that? What is your motivation behind that? Or, Well, for us, we can use the ear piercing as an example. So with Maddie, you know, we, we didn't want her to get her ears pierced too young because it, with our family and our friends and people like that, you don't, your kids don't wear a lot of jewelry. It's just not. And so she had friends getting their ears pierced and we talked about it and why we didn't do it and how all the people that we sh showed her plenty of people as examples that didn't have it. 
right? But if you really want it and it's that important to you, we'll see about trying to make it happen, right? We would never just flat out say no. And it was never a shine on like, okay, well, we say it, but we don't really mean it. She knows that we mean what we say, right? And right. so when it finally came time for her to get her, that she wanted to get her ears pierced, she got the pierced. And then when one of her other friends a few years later wanted to get her ears pierced, Maddie got her ears pierced the second time, right? But she never wears big dangly jewelry. She still always wears small stuff. The, and we explained to her why. Well, look at this piece. Look at that versus that one. And, you know, look how it better fits your face, better fits your head, which is, you know, part of the reason why she is, uh, I would say that she is as interested in fashion as she is because we'll have those conversations. Yeah. So she's going off to college so that she can get a degree in fashion merchandising and journalism. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I feel like that's also too an, an interesting concept of, of, you know, because I think, I think maybe the rite of passage for, you know, that middle school years and stuff is, or high school is to where here's a line and how close can I get to the line and step over it. And there, there's that natural, healthy, maybe rebellion to some degree to be autonomous. And I want to be my own person as a parent, honoring that, acknowledging that. And what this is a battle I should be fighting, or this is really isn't that big of a deal, you know, don't make something bigger than it really is. That brings me into this conversation that everybody wants to have with me about when we drop Maddie off for college. Oh, it'll be so hard. Right. And the reality of it is Maddie has gone off to sleepaway camp for years and years and years. So she's close by i'm telling her that you know that's all it is it's just a different version of sleepaway camp we're still around the corner if you need us right it's just going to be a few more weeks right you go from two, three weeks to eight two months yeah whatever it is right not a big deal so for her it's not a big deal well you know and because i don't allow it to be and plenty of people try to start well you know, i remember when i dropped my kid off i was crying like i don't get to do that Right. Because if I choose, I can cry by myself on the ride home. But if I cry in front of my child, dropping her off for the next stage of her life, she's going to remember that. And I have worked too darn hard to help her get to the point where she is the independent person she is. And I'm not going to take that away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's good. That's good. And it's, it's, it also tell what to say to with you and, and your wife too, to be job well done. Like, this is the point. We wanted her to be an independent person on her own. And right. But going back to say my grandparents, right? Maddie has a house uh, at our ranch. She has her own little house. She's always going to have a house wherever we go because this is her home. She's always going to have a place. Now, you I don't need really rent. Yes. <laughs> you must participate. Yeah. Right? You must, you either, you either pay in cash or kind. You're either going <laughs> to right. get out, you're going to, you're yeah. going to do laundry or whatever, or you get out there and me. you get on the tractor. You no, know. this isn't a, you know, you come hang out and sleep here till three o'clock in the afternoon, playing video games all night long. You know, home. this is, you know, we work. It's what we do because we also love to go on vacations and we love to go do all these other things that work allows us to do. Before I get to like the, the kind of the ultimate last question, if you will, but what is a tradition or something yeah something in your family that is special to you whether it's game night whether it's we take a trip 
whether it's sitting together as a family at dinner, like what is it? Is there something that is a favorite Miller tradition? Well, I, I go back to when she was in third grade, I think it was, and she had to do this coat of arms that included all things about your family, right? One of the things on Maddie's coat of arms was shopping. I grocery shop, Jackie will grocery shop, we clothing shop, we shop. It's on my list of non-male traits, but I deal with it as a man going shopping with women, right? I have that thing that all things point to some good, so it's my job to find some good in it. So what I do is when we go shopping, like I like to go to an outlet mall and my job is to deal with it. Like I was hunting. I want one item that is the thousand dollar suit, for example, that has been marked down to 80 bucks. That's what I want, right? That's what I'm in there looking for. So that's how I occupy my time waiting for my girls in my household to tell me, okay, I've tried this on. I've tried that on. What do you think of it? I got you. I got you. Right. So you're tricking the system to some degree, right? I just find, I find a way I get to fit. Okay. But so that's not really our tradition. It's just one of those things that I I do. And it allows me to, to be a part of more of her life. Mm -hmm. Right. But so family traditions, we, we go to Disney, we go on cruises because my wife loves to travel. Maddie has gone to Disney and universal pretty much twice a year, her entire life. We've been on like 16 Disney cruises and it's not because we're big, huge Disney fans. It's because they're among the most predictable and they have the largest group of things for kids to do. I gotcha. I gotcha. Right. So that's, that's why we gravitated towards it. So for example, this, we, I used to do a haunted house with a friend of mine. Halloween was a big thing where I'm from in Ohio. And it wasn't like uh, exorcist scary kind of stuff. It was just Halloween. It was kids going out and knocking on doors of neighbors that they probably don't even know that they find out as some, you know, 65, 70 year old person who's blind and, and just, you know, loves kids. <laughs> right. Right. But it, 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 and it's came with the fall. So one of my friends moved into my neighborhood here. We'd known each other for like ever from Ohio and he ends up moving two blocks away and he does something for Halloween and my neighborhood in Houston is a big trick-or-treat place. So we end up doing a haunted house and our, the haunted house that we did became home haunt of the year nationwide for the haunt industry for three years straight. That's awesome. You know, so one Maddie got used to me working there, planning and being involved in it. And so a few bad things happened and it all went away and now to replace that because the first year came along and I wouldn't, wasn't going to be doing the audit house. And I could tell that Maddie was kind of disappointed about it. Mm-hmm. We said, let's go down to universal, the universal studios. They do a horror nights where they have all of these haunted houses. And so we did that instead, right? We look for the good out of the bad and the bad is we're not doing our own haunted house, but the good is we're going to go check out all of these other people's and all the, and the details of it and everything and get to still see people get scared and laugh about them being scared about silly things. Right. While in the process, we get to critique what they did, what they could do better. things like that. Oh, that's fun though. You, you kind of flip the script a little bit. Yeah. That's a tradition that we do. Did she talk about that? Did it still, was it on house? Was that a special thing for her? 
Yeah, it was. Um, so she'll even go to horror movies now. She's going to like a screen movie with one of her friends. And she learned to look at them the way that I look at them, which is really just entertainment and how silly that people are scared by them. And so that makes her feel really brave when she's there with all of her friends and they're scared. And she's not. Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, that is, I know, you know, with our journey together, that was, I've been, I've attended the splat baby or baby splat, baby splat, little, little shout out to him. Um, but those were so neat. It reminded me of my neighborhood growing up in, in right outside of new Orleans and um, our little neighborhood haunted houses and how it brought our little streets together. And so, yeah, it was really, really an incredible event that y'all did. So gift giving. Okay. Native Americans aren't good at receiving gifts, typically, because when you get a gift, you're, you then are responsible for giving a gift to someone else. You have to give something back that's as good as the gift that you received. Mm -hmm. So at Christmas, it was always very troubling for me. So I, I really have this dislike of Christmas uh, as a result. When I when my daughter came along, like, I have a kid. I can't let my kid have the same experience that I had. So we, Jackie and I, both intentionally try to give her something every year and we think about it and think about it that would make her cry. It's not Christmas if Maddie doesn't open her gift and cry, right? Wow, that's, that, that's challenging. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll give you an example. Like one year, I mean, Maddie believed in Santa Claus up until she found boxes for gifts that weren't wrapped yet in a closet when she was like 12 okay she still believed in santa claus because we didn't hide it from her she would say well is there a santa claus and of course there's a santa claus oh yes there is right and so when she found that she then said why are there all the gifts upstairs you know is there no santa and i said oh no there most certainly is a santa it's me it's your mother we do that so that you have this sense of magic, a wonder about things in life. And you're going to do that for your kids. You know, that kind of thing, mm. right? There was a bit more explanation to it. So one year we were off on our cruise and she had wanted a trampoline. You know, trampolines come unassembled. So I had to get one of my friends to come into my backyard and assemble the trampoline while we were away. So that when we came back, there it was. Dear friend. You know what I would do when I hear that, if I, if I had to like make my child cry, I would probably, because there's a lot of pressure, I would probably say, hey, here's what you're going to get. And then he doesn't get it. Yeah, no, that's, that's not quite right. Well, I made him cry if that, if that's, <laughs> that's, yes, but that's not the good kind of cry. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Well, you didn't clarify. Once you, that should be pretty easy. To be honest, uh, you didn't clarify. Being the father of a daughter, is there any kind of rite of passage that you and your wife did? For her, with her, you know, obviously with our Jewish friends, you know, the bar mitzvah, which in the bat mitzvah, which to be fair, I think that's the designated age when, quote, that child takes on the their own spiritual journey themselves in that tradition. But did, did you all do anything intentional with her kind of going from, quote, you know, adolescent to you know, teenager? Honestly, no. Okay. The primary reason we, we looked at things that other people do, mm -hmm. but I have to admit, I'm still a kid. I'm not going to grow up. My wife is still a kid. 
she doesn't want to grow up either, right? So the for for us, the idea of saying, well, you know, here's this moment where you're an adult now, and it's time. I don't have a problem with with people still being in touch with their inner child and enjoying their life. Yeah, right? sure, sure, sure. Right. So finding we don't have you know we don't have a, any religious traditions that that kind of feed into it or require it. You know, we no quinceanera. We aren't members of any of the various uh, groups where you would end up having a dead ball. You know that kind of thing. So no, no, bra- no, no brandings. No, no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, although, well, you know, I, I oh. do consider Deshin's graduation to be like a dead ball. But beyond that, I don't know how to take that. And you, was that a, you was that a jab a girl at dress, Dressed in um, white gowns with crowns, oh, curtsying, just was like it, all was it like dead balls. Was it like a scene in Lord of the Rings kind of a vibe? I wouldn't go that far, but, you know, they have these. They wear lace crowns. Uh, the lace is what I mean, was originally and may still be handmade by nuns in France. Okay. But everybody has to wear a paper white dress. Okay. So it's quite the affair. Well, for, for those listeners, uh, he's referring to Duchenne Academy here in Houston, uh, which is an all girls school. So shout out to them. Um, got to be the Sacred Heart. Yeah. No, no shade. Like New Orleans. There you go. There you go. Where they spoke French. And actually, funny little story, since we were talking about Sacred Heart, and I'll put Sacred Heart in my, my our show notes, but uh, the church that I grew up going in New Orleans, Sacred Heart bought it, took it over. And so now my former church, Protestant church, is now Sacred Heart. Good stuff. Good stuff. What would you say, again, with all your experiences and your ob- your keen observation and um, you know where you and I met and got to know each other, you got a kind of a front row seat of, to some degree of parents. What would you say is, is or are the biggest challenges for dads right now? Identity. What is a dad? Where does a dad fit? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's presently, Honey. I think the reason why you do the podcast is the, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to figure out what, what is a dad like today? I see more dads that don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? Right, they're lost. As, as, as a as a spouse, as a father, as a career. Yes, as all of us. I yeah. So a lot of that. I think that uh, as a society overall, that we've lost direction for you know men knowing what to do, when to do, and how to do. They're too afraid. Okay, so I think one thing too, especially with with working with my students and or even coworkers. So you identify a problem, but then you need to come and bring a solution, right? So don't just don't just complain about it. Let's bring a solution. So so I want to throw a little bit of that at you, in in your opinion, that's an issue, that's a problem. So in your opinion, then how can we address that? What do we do? Well, you begin other portions of our society talk about how important it is to be seen and how important it is to have good examples. So Knowing that you can't necessarily be the example that gets to be seen on television, right? You can be an example in your own household, in your own neighborhood with the people that you know. But more importantly, just noticing, right? Guys, if you saw a guy driving a car that you had back when you were in high school and it was pristine. Like a red Lamborghini? Well, not a Lamborghini, but like 
you know, Mustang or something like that, that you had, or, and yours was beat up, but here's this pristine, perfect one, right? Don't you get excited when you see that and you'd be like, oh man, that is so cool. Right. And wouldn't you say, you know, you'd say to the guy, Hey man, I like your car. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody saw you out with say your son and they saw your son having a moment and you're holding your son's hand because he's afraid or he's throwing a fit and you kind of held it all together and, and got him calmed down. Wouldn't it be nice to have another man walk by and say, hey man, good job. I think that would be a, a big, nice, like shot in the arm. That's the only thing that we can do for each other. It's just, you know, see and be seen. Right? But I have a spiritual template. I get it. Well, most people don't. But I th we're not meant to, like I said, I'm in, in, for the show, we're not meant to do this alone. Like we do need, we do need community. We do need to have a band of brothers, if you will, to walk through. Hey, Jim, I'm really struggling, man. Do you need any advice? Let's, let's go get some barbecue together and be somewhat vulnerable. But where do guys go to as far as a template? You know, I'm not saying the Marlboro man is your example or John Wayne necessarily, but where do you go to even to see an example because maybe a lot of guys are like that's great jim but right i mean in the 80s we had so many family friendly shows right and they're not there anymore and they were always sitcoms and they were always fathers laughing about stupid stuff that sons or daughters did right but they always talked to each other they communicated because they had to or there wouldn't be a tv show right but somehow we lost the idea of that's what people do. We communicate with each other. So one of the things that I do when I find out that one of my friends is going to have a baby is there's this book called On Becoming Baby Wise. It's an old book. It's not very long. It's like 70 or 80 pages. Print is a tiny. And it really just talks about the fact that and gives you a plan for babies being when they're fresh out of the womb, they have this body and they don't know what to do with it. So you swaddle them and it helps them be calm. And then you give them a, a feeding schedule. So it takes away their anxiety about when they're going to get fed. And you don't let anybody interrupt that feeding schedule just because they show up and they want to see the baby, but it's the baby's nap time, right? You follow it concisely. I buy that book for them, any of my friends that are going to have a baby, right? And I tell them, the men, that, you know, you read this one. <laughs> You're going to understand this one a lot more than she would, but it's not, you know, it's not terribly long. And then you give her the information from it mm. and then you enforce it. Mm. And I think, cause I did that with Maddie, um, people would often describe Maddie when I carry her around in her little carrier as the most contented baby they've ever seen because she never complained. She hardly ever cried about anything. She was just happy. Mm -hmm. And it really, I believe that it comes down a lot to this not keeping anxiety away from this book, right? Not allowing the anxiety in until, you know, the world brings it in. Mm. But that's an example of a way that we can impact each other. I mean, we don't have support groups like we would, you know, especially now with the modern, with the modern internet. I mean, my grandfather had two pool tables in his basement and he would have guys over, right? To play pool or, or whatever. We don't do that, but we need to. Oh, absolutely. I think men are it doesn't, some it of the doesn't loneliest. Need to be, right? It doesn't need to be under the guise of church. It doesn't need to be, let's go to a bar and watch a game. 
It just needs to be, hey, come over, hang out, right? I do it over cars and stuff that I fix and play with or, you know, guns or whatever, mechanical things because I like mechanical things. But when somebody, I, I like one of my friends makes beer. So I got all the equipment and learned how to make beer so that I can, you know, have some common ground with them. You've got to be intentional. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. And, I'm, you know, and I think for my son and, you know, whether your daughter too, I'm not trying to say it's a, it's a boy girl thing, but you know, what can you create in him interest, hobbies, take note, try to fan the flames. So that way there's something that he feels really good and confident in, but then also too, that could be a way to connect with others, you know, whether that's, you know what I'm saying? You know, as you get common ground later in life, but, but I think also too, for guys, for us, generally we want to connect by like if you and i took a road trip to you know god forbid cincinnati ohio making but, chili but 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 like hey would you i heard somebody's you know mentioning this but it's like i can't own this but you know hey jim what did y'all talk about uh not a whole lot you know but we had a great time because we were just together you know it's more by doing stuff together being each other's presence you know, that's maybe something that I feel like guys kind of connect by doing things, um, right? And just right. putting yourself like, in those positions to do it. One of my friends does a gumbo does a gumbo night. It's uh, out in Brenham. One of the Mondays, third Monday, second Monday, whatever they they make gumbo, and it really just is all the men getting together to have gumbo. Where there's food, we will come. That's good. That's good. And I, and I think maybe, you know, whether it's encouragement to you, encouragement to me, somebody that out there that's listening, you know, you, you also too have to take a risk and, you know, if you're good at something or have interest in something, somehow put it out there, you know, in hopes that some guys will come along, you know, cause I, again, you know, we need each other to get through this. And I think the older that we get, it's harder for us to have some deep friendships, you know, and, but I think too, yeah, we're. I think guys generally are pretty lonely, you know? Well, I think that as, as you get older, men, as they get older, they get less flexible. So things that wouldn't have made them uncomfortable to try out when they get, as they get older, because they know they're not going to be so good at it, they're not going to try. You have to get beyond the fear of failure or fear of looking stupid and just realize that all of us look stupid. And we're all getting judged every minute of every day, right? And embrace it. not to care. We're to care less. <laughs> How about that? Yes, because I was going to go on with my Barbie reference with you. Sick. Um, I don't mind it. I've gotten used to being judged, right? <laughs> and if they want to, go right ahead. I, well, I'll feel I, I just, so sorry for myself while I go and do the things I enjoy doing without them. Well, you know, generally, I'm like, you do you. But when you showed up, you know, when you were serving, kind of helping on the library in a fishnet shirt and, you know, you had those, those, um, star spangled banner spandex. That's, that's kind of where I was a little bit of maybe you, you kind of stepped over the line. Yeah, you do what you got. <laughs> no, awesome. but you know, it, it really is, it is very hard for them to make friends. And if they be just, if we can all begin to admit that, that it is hard and, just get past it because you end up missing out on a lot. We are a social animal. We're yep. a pack animal at the very least. And there's nothing worse than the wolf pack of one, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I 
I'll, I'll put this on the on air, but you know, at least for for my guests that live in Houston, you know, I'd love for all of us to get together for a barbecue, you know, because um, there's some neat neat guys that I've met through this podcast, you know, and just first of all, I get together, and that's one common thing that we've had, you know, so create the create the um, be intentional about creating some community. So, like that, you know, you've said before, we're all stuck in middle school. We all still are. The problem is that we. In middle school, you gathered around a ball, right? You gathered around a something, and everybody knew what the rules were. And you play. Right. You just don't do what's what's going to be the ball we gather around. Yeah, fire. You know, wh- how do you gather people together that have a similar interest? First, you got to figure out what the interest is. If you're a car guy, you go to car shows. Right. 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 God forbid golf. Well, I'm picking golf back up. Good for you. I'm sure it's the mechanical part of it that you're picking it back up. It's the getting to spend time with my wife for four hours without being interrupted by work or anything related to it. Well, that's a worthy reason. If if my wife wanted to do that, I would. As we end here, is there anything, Jim, though, through through our conversation that you want to share that has stirred something in you that, uh, you know, something that maybe that I haven't asked or that I haven't brought up? I know that we're all not lucky enough to have fathers in our lives, mm-hmm. right? That we readily identify as such. But you have to remember that we have a lot of them. It may be it that math teacher in sixth grade that took a moment, like with me, when I didn't like doing homework and didn't want to do homework. And instead of just ignoring it and tanking my grade, gave me a reason to do the work, gave me extra work that was harder or something to excite me and interest me. Okay. That's a very fatherly thing to do, to see, you know, someone struggling and fulfill that need that they have, right? So we have all, we have them all throughout our lives. And we also have to remember that we are those to others. I'm not just parenting my own kid. I'm not just a father figure for my own kid. I'm a father figure for just about every kid that I need that is looking for one, whether I intend it or not. Well, that is so true. And and, and I'm very thankful that you brought that up because one of my guests who is from Houston, lives in Dallas, a, a mover and a shaker in the world of education, but he grew up in a kind of a single mother home. Um, but he brought that point up. He goes, although I didn't have a father, I had so many men that stepped into my life that served as father figures to me. Um, so he goes, I almost look back and go, I'm not saying that I didn't need to have a father, but I actually had a pretty good because I had, and he mentioned two or three teachers that saw value in him, that poured into him, that encouraged him, that that's kind of actually how he got into, of course, his mom was a huge factor too in education, but that's so awesome that you brought that up because of, yes, to dads out there that, or, or men out there that, that, that don't have a father, yes, and look to those that, that can be that, that role for you. But I think that's so good to hear, you know, my role and, and where I work is I can never be your dad. I'm not trying to be your dad, but, you know, I can be a positive male influence in your life. You well, know, you're a father figure. Right. You're not the father, right? Right. You're not the parent. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have men in education in general. I, you know, I, I know oftentimes they don't feel welcome, but they're still needed. Absolutely. 
hundred percent. Well, and again, to kind of stroke your ego, I think when you stepped in and, and served in the role that you did, where you and I, you know, interacted with each other, I saw it all the time. How you really, if you knew it or not, but were such a huge influence in so many of those kids' lives by your strong, patient. Demeter and how you love the kids so well. And I, I mentioned this to you last week. I, I still will not forget um, looking through the library window, seeing you and that student with your at the back of your truck. You had your tailgate down and you were showing him, mentoring him how to drill into a piece of wood for preparing for a dance. And he was just locked in, glued in. And I was like, man, there's power in that, you know, that, that mentoring and, uh, I just always have that sketched in my my brain. You know, it's like one moment in time, but how you have really lived that out so well. And so it should be every day. Yeah. It should be every day. Because Absolutely. if it isn't, we don't get to complain about the world we live in. Right. Right. You gotta change it. You gotta do something about it. Yeah. It's mean, just like you asking saying to me that I can't point out a flaw without being able to provide a solution. If you see that there's a problem, which we all do every day, right? What can you do about it? Right. For the greater good, for sure. For sure. Well, I, again, I, I, I couldn't think of a, honestly, such a, a positive person to have as a guest, Jim. And um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and being vulnerable and sharing your story. And that's what I love about this. People that I've known for so long, I don't know because I just haven't asked these questions. And you get to see somebody in a, just a whole different light. And so- well, we don't know what we don't ask, right? We tell right. that to kids all the time. The problem is that as we get to be adults, we become afraid of asking the questions, either because we don't want the answer or we're afraid that we'll anger somebody. Most people want to know where I came from, how I got to be where I am or why I am the way I am. They're never going to ask me. And I'm never going to tell them unless they ask at me. Well, and I, and I think too, I've noticed that this isn't an indictment and, and I feel uncomfortable talking about myself. You know, I tend to pivot or make it a joke or... Not that there's anything I'm hiding. I just, but I am the product of my son, my father, in a sense that we just like to ask questions. We like to know people's stories, and that's interesting to me. And um, but I noticed generally people don't ask questions. I would say, you know, my wife and I will be will leave a situation like not every situation, but like they never asked. Like, how was your day? What's going on at school? What are you seeing? Like, people just don't ask questions, and. Um, you know, I think we try to make a habit of even our waiter at a restaurant, you know, it's like, Hey, where are you from? Oh, you know, like just, we just want to know, we just want to try to build a connection. You never know what you're going to miss out. Going back to my grandfather. Okay. The reason why I don't ever ask men what they do for a living. And I don't, I ask people what they do for fun is because my grandfather identified solely with his job for so long that he missed seeing his children grow up. And spent the rest of his life, once he realized that, trying to make up for it. So when I sit down next to somebody that I know has kids, and I know that they've got a family, and I'm like, okay, so tell me about yourself. What do you do for fun? And they say to me, well, you know, all I really do is work. My response to that is usually, oh, come on, man, you're not that shallow, are you? There's got to be more to you than that. And eventually you'll get something like, well, I golf, or I do, I, I like to watch football. I'm a real fan of you know, the saints or the giants or whoever, hey. but you know, it's these people who identify themselves by their job solely. I mean, really is a male disease. Hey, hey. 
That's good. Mm-hmm. That, could, that could be a whole nother show. So much good stuff, Jim. So much good stuff. Wait, wait, like, and also too, on a side note, it's been great to leverage this podcast to, to reconnect with you because it's it's been a while since we've really been able to visit and, and mess with each other. And and um, so it's always good to be reconnected with you. I think last time, maybe I even saw you, I was moving furniture out of your Brenham palatial manor, I think. Yes, you were, you were helping me move something to Brenham. That's that right. I took you out to the Baylor. Uh, Independence. Yeah. Which That's is right. Just around the corner. So I'm thankful that the listeners are to get to know who you are and uh, the pride of Portsmouth, Ohio. I am not the pride of Portsmouth. I, 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 there is somebody else who has that title, I think. Okay. I should have Googled who like the most famous people out of Portsmouth other than Jim Miller. Maybe I'll do that. I always, but- I always introduce myself as no one of any importance. <laughs> that sounds almost like Johnny Cash-ish. But in the show notes, we will have a link to Portsmouth. Absolutely, because we want the audience to know where this city is on the Ohio River. But thank you again, Jim, and promise me that soon we can go grab some grub in person because it's been long overdue. Certainly. Again, Jim, thank you so much for uh, for chatting, and I uh, really appreciate you. You're welcome. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From our brother C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.